Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 417. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I have a fun episode today. I love doing these Q&As on Instagram Live. And so I jumped on Instagram Live and did a little bit of a Q&A. We talked about eShadowing. We talked about MAPS. We talked about applications and interviews and the MCAT and so much more. So hopefully one of the questions that was asked is something that maybe you have been thinking about. If you haven't checked out MAPS yet, go to MAPPD.com. Sign up for a free two-week trial today. MAPT is a new technology platform that I co-founded that we launched to the public in August, and we already have over 2,000 students using MAPT to help track their journey to medical school, but not only track, to help navigate it as well. The next release that we have coming out in the next week or two as I'm recording this in November, uh, November 16th, 2020, our next big release will be the feedback release where really at the core of what we wanted MAP to be is a way for you to get feedback on what you are doing, not just tracking what you're doing, but actually be able to give you feedback on everything that you're doing so that we know when you want to start medical school and we can start pinging you to take a MCAT diagnostic test and start looking for uh, MCAT full-length exams and start that whole process. When we know when you want to start medical school, we know when you should apply and when you should start working on your personal statement and all of that stuff. So, And it goes much beyond that. Uh, We'll be able to calculate your GPA and tell you if you're even ready to apply. We'll we'll be able to get that nuanced. So lots of fun stuff coming. Again, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Let's go and jump into our Q&A today. So the first question here is uh, any virtual interviews um, or, or traditional tips. So virtual interviews, obviously kind of the norm right now for 2020 with COVID. It'll be interesting to see when 2020 rolls around what interviews will look like, obviously pending access to a vaccine. Now we've had two great uh 
publications uh, in terms of data being published from two different companies and their vaccine and great results. So hopefully, hopefully we'll have a vaccine soon for uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, but in terms of virtual interviews, I, I did a whole episode on it for the Print Media. So I would I would start there. I did a whole episode on on tips for virtual interviews. Um, really, lighting is key. Uh, internet connection is key. And then just being prepared like a normal interview. Uh, I have a, a whole book if you want to read it, the Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Interview that students seem to love. Uh, so you can go check that out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. Um, <clears throat> but at, at, at its heart, the interview is who are you and can you communicate with me? Not who are you and what are you all about in terms of how amazing of a person you are? Too many students come into the interview thinking their job is to sell, 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 to show off all of this, the things that they've done and to translate everything into this is why I'm going to be an amazing physician. All right, too many students line up everything. I know that to be a doctor, you have to have XYZ. And well, I have XYZ because of this, that, and the other thing. And so your job is not to do that. Your job is to go answer the questions, have a conversation, and, and really enjoy. One of the biggest things that comes up all the time right now in a virtual interview world is looking at the camera versus not. I recommend not looking at the camera in a virtual interview. So right now as I'm recording this, I'm looking at the my iPhone camera for our Instagram live here. And the problem with that is I can't interact with you because I can't read any of your comments that are coming down. And that's the same thing with a virtual interview. We we think that I have to look at the camera because that is quote unquote eye contact. But in actuality, you looking at the other person is the eye contact that you need because you need to read their their facial expression. You need to read their body language. You need to see what's going on in their face. That's why we talk about eye connection so that you can see their face, not just so you can stare at their eyes. And in a virtual interview, you have to look at the screen to do that. And so we are considering this the norm now where you're not staring at the camera, you're looking at the screen. That is normal. I find it very awkward when someone stares at the camera in an interview because I'm like, why are you looking at me? That's just not the way it's supposed to be. So don't do that. Uh, if you guys are iPhone users or iPhone nerds like I am, uh, Apple a couple years ago had a feature where in, in a FaceTime video call, they would, with augmented reality, take your eyes and shift them up using using some some deep learning stuff so so that it would look like you were looking at the camera it freaked people out and they didn't they didn't uh launch that um that feature so don't don't look at the camera relax and have fun really is at, at the end of the day and then go check out the um go check out the other episode that i did all about tips and tricks for a virtual interview Waiting on mission accepted episodes. Yes, well, I'm hoping I have enough people to interview this coming Monday for that. Future Dio Cal, Kale, what's going on? Um, I'm taking the MCAT to get into medical school for 2023. When do I start preparing for it? 
So uh, obviously taking the MCAT to get into medical school is, is what 99% of students do. If you want to start medical school in 2023, you are going to take the MCAT the beginning of 2022, typically no later than March or April. And that'll give you some flexibility in terms of if you need to retake it, it'll give you some flexibility to get it out of the way so that you can focus on applications, et cetera. So that's what I would recommend. <clears throat> I would love to be on your application renovation, sub 302 acceptances. So that is not application renovation. That potentially is mission accepted. Um, but just driving by to say, what's up to the goat? What is up? Pre-med to med. How you doing? Uh, does a behavioral uh, tech count as clinical experience? Yes, it does. Uh, I have three of your books and I'm an undergrad. Getting ahead. Awesome. Where are my Texas peeps? Not here. Thank you for your podcast. You're welcome. Uh, when will application renovation episodes come out? So more application renovation episodes. Uh, if you don't know about application renovation, if you just go to applicationrenovation.com, then that'll take you to the YouTube, my YouTube channel, um, the playlist for application renovation. And application renovation is when I uh, bring a student on and look at their application and try to figure out why they didn't get into medical school. Um, because right now as I'm recording this, it's November, we're in the middle of an application cycle. So we're not going to record new application renovations until probably February or March of next year. Um, but right now we're going to try to start recording some mission accepted interviews, looking at applications uh, and finding out why students got in, uh, to medical school. So, uh, similar to application renovation, but with the positive twist that they got in. Um, people always say to become a scribe to enhance your chance of being accepted. Is that true? So I wouldn't say you become a scribe to enhance your chance of becoming accepted. You become a scribe because it's good experience in healthcare. It's good experience being around patients. It's good experience being around physicians. Now, obviously, every scribe job is a little bit different. Um, you have different access to, to patients, different interaction levels, depending on where you're at, the physicians that you, the physicians who you interact with, et cetera. But kind of generalizing being a scribe, it's clinical experience. You're, you're interacting with, with patients and, and physicians and the, the healthcare team. That doesn't enhance your chance of being accepted to medical school. That enhances your understanding of medicine, which will help you then write your personal statement and in your extracurricular descriptions, be able to, quote unquote, verbalize why you want to be a physician. The goal of, of the application is, is to lay out this story of why you want to be a physician. If you can't um, if you can't kind of verbalize that, if you, if you can't, I can't think of the right word. Um, if you can't put that out there concretely, that's where you struggle. So does it help you get into medical school? No, it helps you understand this process and why you want to be a physician. I hear that most interviews are ritual. Yes, they are. If you have an uh, inter interview in person, is it acceptable to shake hands nowadays? What's acceptable with COVID-19? Uh, I am super, super, super disappointed in the two schools that I know of that are doing in-person interviews. Um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Cases are skyrocketing. And 
young people are getting sick and and dying. Physicians, young physicians, and 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 other people. Um, that doesn't mean everyone is getting sick and dying. Luckily, the far, far, far majority of younger, healthier people are doing just fine. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't pass it to someone else, right? We're we're nine months into this stupid thing, eight months into this stupid thing. Um, however, however many months into this stupid thing, uh, we we don't need to be rehashing the the uh, how covid works or how SARS-CoV-2 is is spread and everything. And so the fact that schools are doing in-person interviews just goes completely against healthcare advice and public health advice. And so it pisses me off that there are at least two schools that I know of that are doing it. Um do you shake hands? I wouldn't. Uh I would stay far away from people. That's the whole point. Uh, is it too late to submit secondaries this cycle? Uh, it's pretty late. Uh, it depends on when you got the secondaries. If you've been sitting on secondaries for a long time, then I probably wouldn't submit them at this point. Does pharmacy tech count for anything? Uh, it counts for being a pharmacy tech. A lot of people will mark it as clinical experience. I personally don't think it's clinical experience, but it doesn't it doesn't hold you back from marking it as clinical experience. I think... Being a pharmacy tech, uh, like an, in a retail store, like a Walgreens or CVS, et cetera, um, is is more of a uh, a retail job than than clinical experience. So, um, put it in. It's it's not about what you did; it's about what you took away from it. So, what did you learn from it? Uh, how did it impact you, et cetera? Let's talk about it in those ways. Um, what is a scribe job? Google. G-O-O-G-L-E. Go Google it. Uh, Let me see. Who's here? Hanging out with us tonight. Um, mm -mm. I haven't gotten any positive news yet. Should I be worried? No. Uh, The application cycle this year is very, very delayed. So uh, I wouldn't be worried at this point. Nothing to be worried about. All right. Here's a good question for me. Uh, How was your transition from undergrad to med school? What advice would you give to pre-med students? So my transition to medical school was miserable. So I had taken three years off between undergrad and medical school. Um, I... Tried to get in to medical school the first time, didn't didn't get in. So I applied, interviewed um, at University of Florida, interviewed at University of Colorado, didn't get into either school. Uh, fixed my application, took a year off from applying, and then reapplied. And then I got in, and then I took I deferred my uh, my acceptance because I was working and uh, learning how to manage people and and all kinds of fun stuff. So I deferred a year. Uh, so it was three years. I had forgotten how to be a student by the time I, I started medical school again. I failed my first test in medical school, histology tests. Uh, I aced the anatomy test that was taken the same day or the day after um, because I went in naively with this idea that I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Anatomy is important. Histology is not. So I focused all my time on anatomy and didn't focus any on, on uh, histology. I think the 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 most consistent thing that I hear all the time from students 
um, who, whom I've helped get into medical school and I go back and check in on them is that they're like, holy crap, I didn't think it was going to be like this. And, and there's nothing that we can tell you, physicians or medical students, there's nothing that we can tell you as, as a pre-med student to really prepare you for what medical school is going to bring. Medical school is horrible and it's amazing. Um, it, it is, it's torture. There, there's, there's just so much that you have to learn and cram into your head. And it, it's silly. I mean, at some point, the, the question comes down to, why are we memorizing all this stuff when I can look it up? But it's so important to have the, the fundamental understanding of how the body works and how it's put together and, and what does what and where it goes where and all this stuff. Because when patients come to you, you're, you're going to have to be able to ask the questions appropriately. You can't Google everything. Uh, and, and so there's just, there's so much to know, right? A semester of biochemistry in college, you learn in a week or two in medical school and you're expected to, to know more potentially. And so it's just, it's hard. Um, and so transition wise to medical school, my only advice to you is be prepared for chaos, be okay with chaos, go in with a good foundation of sleep hygiene, a good foundation of nutrition, of, of exercise and taking care of yourself. And don't let those things slip because you have lots of studying to do. The studying is nonstop and you can study nonstop, but the more efficient you are and the more that you put boundaries around the studying so that you can take care of yourself and eat and exercise and everything else, your studying will be more effective. And too many students don't do that. The other thing, when you are studying, study. Throw your phone away. Turn off your internet access and study. We are way too connected to our devices and it interrupts our studying. There was, there was one study I, I read where if, if your phone is with you, like just face down, right? Face down on the table away from you. It's still drawing your attention because it's right there within arm's reach. But another study of, of if you get like a ding, a notification that, that you, you have a text message or Dr. Gray is going live on Instagram or whatever, that it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for your attention and focus to get back to where it was pre-notification. So if you are studying for an hour and you get two notifications, you didn't study for that hour. <laughs> like it's so much less effective. So get that device away from you as as much as you can. Is physiology and anatomy helpful for medical school? It is hugely helpful for medical school. Um I, I'm a huge anatomy fan to begin with. Um, I took anatomy and physiology in college. My major was exercise physiology, so I, I, I did a lot of physiology. Um, it definitely helps. You're going to go probably more in depth in medical school, but if, if there's any one class that I think students should take to quote-unquote prepare them for medical school, which I don't think you really can do, prepare for medical school, I think anatomy is probably the number one thing. Just so you have some understanding of the language and, uh, and, and the body, because when you go into that cadaver lab, it's a whole new world. So hopefully that is helpful. Um, 
Vita, what do you think about the Vita interview? Do you think it's helping applicants? Uh, my assumption is that it's a complete waste of time, uh, useless piece of junk system that isn't going to help anyone that didn't help uh, emergency, I think it was emergency medicine programs when they used it. And they, both the applicants to emergency medicine programs and emergency medicine programs themselves said, this is useless. Why are we doing this? Um, it's just a tool for the AMC to uh, make you spend more money on them. It's free this year, but it won't be for long. So I think it's a piece of junk. Oh yeah. What else? Lots of good questions here. Um, how do you tell a school you have a deposit to that you're no longer interested in pursuing matriculation with their program? <laughs> you say, uh, I, I gladly, uh, wish to change my don uh, my deposit to a donation have a good day thank you very much um no you just you just send them an email to say I, i've been accepted at another program that i'd rather go at uh thank you for your time and um your offer but i'm gonna decline at this time it's pretty pretty simple and straightforward nothing to worry about there all right some good questions Medical school is torture. Yes, it is. Caribbean or DO in the States? It's a no-brainer. DO in the States. It's it's not even a question. Uh, especially with where step one is going, pass-fail. We don't know what's going to happen with, uh, with residency programs and how they evaluate students. Historically, it's kind of been the fact that you can, uh, if you do go to the Caribbean, you can overcome being an IMG, being an international medical graduate with a good step one score. And so you can't do that anymore. And will a good step two score potentially fill in for that? We don't know. And so there's still lots of questions around it, but uh, the MD going to a Caribbean is, is not worth it compared to a DO school. Is it harder to get into medical school in Canada than in the States? Much, much harder. There aren't as many schools at all. Uh, uh, uh. Interesting. Will my MCAT score be weighed heavier when compared to my third and fourth year GPA? I'm not sure what you mean by that question. Um, I think your, your MCAT score is your MCAT score. Your GPA is your GPA. I, I don't know why one would be weighed heavier or less uh, compared. But really, at the heart of the answer is every medical school does things different. So there's no blanket answer I can give you, even though I don't really know what you're asking. Oh, ah, ah, I love this question. What should be a backup plan if you don't get into medical school? So if you've listened to me long enough, and, and for those of you who are new, welcome. Thank you for joining. Uh, we are almost eight years into this pre-med years podcast, which I'm recording right now here on Instagram Live. My motto is no plan Bs. So uh, as everyone is saying here, no backup plan, no backup plan, no backup plan, no plan B. 
Right? And I get, I get a lot of flack from people. They're like, well, if you go to the operating room, are you going to not have a plan B? I'm like, no, idiot. Of course I'm going to have a plan B. I need to understand the operation that I'm doing and, and all of the complications that come with it and make sure I have other plans and, and, and I'm going to do what's right there. When I talk about no plan B for medical school, I mean, if you want to be a physician, there is no backup plan. Your backup plan is, I didn't get into medical school. Let me figure out why I didn't get into medical school and fix that and reapply. Luckily, here in the States, you have the freedom to apply to medical school more than once. Now, there are some schools out there, Harvard being the one that has historically had this, and maybe it's changed, but I I always bring Harvard up because they have uh, on their website that you can't apply to Harvard more than twice. Now, I'm sure maybe you can, and they'll they'll gladly take your money, but they're not going to to review your application more than twice. But you can, the AAMC will take your money every time. You can apply to medical school as many times as you want. So if you want to be a physician, you apply to medical school with the best application possible. You, if you don't get in, you ask lots of questions, you figure out why you didn't get in, you do whatever you need to do to sustain yourself and your family and put food on the table and a roof over your head while you fix those things for whatever reason you didn't get into medical school, and then you reapply again. And if you don't get in again, then you reevaluate and you reevaluate, and you reevaluate. Now, obviously, at some point, and, and, and I get a lot of flack for all oh, those, it's just students can't, can't afford that, and, and it's just, it's naive, and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, you have to have some self-reflection and self-awareness in this process to understand that if you're a 2.0 student with a 472 MCAT, you're probably never going to get into medical school. And so, Part of that process of applying the first time with a, with a 2.0472 G, uh, MCAT score, part of that reflective process is I am a horrible student. I have been a horrible student. I need to fix that. And so maybe you go do a second, you, uh, a second bachelor's degree. You do an MCAT tutoring package so you can get your score up. It's not reapplying and reapplying and reapplying and reapplying with unrealistic expectations to get in with a 2.0 GPA and a 472. Obviously, you're not going to get in with that. And so that, to me, is not having a plan B. That's just being completely unrealistic with the whole situation. And so telling a student like that to have a plan B, again, doesn't really fit my narrative, the context around what I talk about with not having a plan B. So uh, fix why you didn't get into medical school and get in the next time. That's what I did. I didn't get in the first time. I fixed what I got wrong, and then I got in. Is it true that all medical schools are good schools, meaning that it doesn't matter where you go? Big picture, yes, that is true. In the micro, like if there's one specific program that you couldn't live without, and you know that you want to be the the world's best uh uh, a neurosurgeon focusing on whatever it is, and there's one program in the country that focuses on that, then you probably want to be as close to that program as possible, meaning try to go to that medical school if they have a medical school there, assuming they have a medical school there. Big picture, 
where you go to medical school has no bearing on what you can or can't do for the rest of your career. The The process of, of choosing a specialty and getting a job is much less where did you go to school and much more who are you, who do you know, unfortunately, uh, what are your scores, what are your evaluations like, and how cool of a person are you that will want to hang out with you for the next X number of years. Now, the one variable that comes into play with who do you know is where you went to school. And so there is some bearing on that. If one school is really stacked with all the top people in whatever field potentially you're interested in, then sure, maybe do that. Another example that um, Dr. Sunny Nakai always talks about um, is if, if you are interested in plastic surgery, don't go to a school that has no plastic surgery residency or, or connections that can help you along your journey to plastic surgery. So really being able to evaluate the school's resources for you, uh, the curriculum at the school, location of the school, all of that kind of stuff, being, avail- being able to evaluate all of that stuff. Um, this question comes up all the time right now, and, and there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, around the competitiveness around the 2020 cycle, the 2021 cycle. And so the the question being, what do you think about the competitiveness or sheer volume of applicants for 2021 cycle? I don't think the volume is going to change much. Uh, I think what we're going to see once the data comes out from the AAMC and, and, and they announced very early on that they saw the biggest ever like opening of AMCAS applications within the first couple weeks or whatever it was for, for this current cycle, this COVID cycle. Um, what I think we're going to see is we're going to see people who were going to apply this year, wait until next year. And we're going to see people who were going to apply next year, apply this year. We had schools dropping MCAT requirements and students were like, heck yeah, I want to take advantage of that. Uh, and, and so we're probably going to balance out pretty evenly. So I wouldn't play any kind of guessing game or try to play the game of like next year is going to be easier than this year. This year is going to be harder than next year, whatever, right? It's, it, it'll be what it'll be. Strong applicants are going to be strong applicants no matter when they're applying. It'll, it'll all be a wash in the end. We'll wait for the data to tell me different. Um, our M- the MCAT, MCATs is not, uh, the MCAT is one, it's a singular, it's always like a pet peeve of mine. Uh, the MCAT taken during the pandemic weighted the same, a shorter MCAT, yeah. So the AAMC said it's a standard test scoring wise, so they're, they're telling everyone it's the same. I call BS, but um, we will find out again with data. Active duty soldier here, thank you for your service. Beginning pre-med post back with limited time. Uh, will my application be strong enough with just, and that got cut off, uh, with just hospice care and shadowing given something, something, something. So if you have some clinical experience, hospice being one of them, great. Um, remember the goal of, uh, the, the goal of getting clinical experience, the goal of getting shadowing is not to check off a box for the medical schools. The goal of those things is to, Prove to yourself that you like being around healthcare, that you like being around patients, that you understand 
that being a doctor isn't just what you see in Grey's Anatomy. And so you have to get that experience so that you can then turn around in your personal statement, which if you haven't checked out yet, the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school personal statement, little little plug there. Um, So you can turn around in your personal statement and talk about why you want to be a physician. That's what those things are for. And so if you think you have enough experience for that, great. If you don't think you have enough experience for that, then maybe delay applying to medical school. Uh, Prep for college. Hello, my friend. Long time. Um, Do I think the shorter MCAT will be around? No, the AAMC has already said they're transitioning back to the, the regular full MCAT. Um, let's see. I'm about to take the MCAT for the third time. I'm discouraged because it's the third time. Uh, it's not the fourth time. It's not the fifth time or sixth time or the maximum seventh time. My question for you is what happened the first two times? And this is a question that students don't ask themselves, right? We all, we all have this definition from Einstein of insanity, of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So my question for you is, how did you prepare the first time? Was your real score significantly different than your practice scores? How did you prepare the second time? What did you change? Was your real score significantly different than your practice scores? Too many people go into the MCAT expecting a miracle on test day. I believe in miracles, but not on the MCAT. When you have a 495 MCAT score going into your test, and that's the best practice exam score that you got, and you're expecting a 505, you're out of your mind. Has it happened? Sure. Lots of things happen that will never happen again you are being delusional, unfortunately, with that expectation. You have to be realistic. And so when it comes to taking the MCAT over and over and over and over again, where are you being unrealistic? It's somewhere or there's something else going on. And what is that? So lots of questions that you need to ask yourself as you go through this journey for the MCAT. Ooh, I like this one. So my my position, what's my opinion on early assurance programs? So if you don't know, medical schools typically have a early decision program. It's called the EDP. Um, not every medical school has it. Uh, a lot do. But the, the gist of it is you designate a school as an early decision school and you are contractually obligated to only apply to that school and only that one school. And you can't apply to any other schools until you hear from that school uh, and are rejected. If you're accepted, that's where you go. If you're rejected, then you can enter the normal kind of application program. For me... 
I don't like the early acceptance program. Uh, I worked with a couple students this cycle who did it and it works well for them, but they had very, 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 very specific reasons why they were applying to the schools that they applied to and why they were applying early decision to those schools. Too many students think that early decision just means a better chance of getting in. And that's not what it means. Early decision usually has, you need to have strong ties to that school. Why do you want early decision here? Why should the school prioritize your application before everyone else? Why should they give you that consideration? And usually it means like, oh, my spouse is at the school uh, when they work at the school, they're a student at the school, et cetera, or I'm from the state and this is the like one thing that I want to do with my career and here's all the experiences that show that this is what I've been doing and this is what I want to continue doing and this is what you do and it's in my home state and I really love it here and I want to come here. You need You need to have that sort of connection and you need to have the stats. Again, a lot of students think early decision means earlier acceptance or easier acceptance and and easier acceptance stat-wise as well. And it's just not the case. You still need to be a competitive applicant. You need to have very, very strong ties as to why you want to apply early decision. The in in my mind, for the majority of students, the risk does not the risk the the risk far outweighs the reward for the majority of students, meaning you not being able to apply to all the other schools on time because you have to apply later is a huge risk that is not worth it for most students. Is pathology a dying business? (laughs) I like pathology jokes. That's fun. Um, uh, Who's coming to eShadowing? eShadowing eShadowing.com. I just thought about that because Dr. Judy Melanick, who wrote the book on forensic pathology, uh, an awesome awesome book on forensic pathology, uh, is going to be on eShadowing in a couple months. So, um, is it bad to have more shadowing hours, 600, than clinical hours, 180? I don't know if it's bad, but shadowing hours at some point are pretty useless. The like they're super exciting. Uh, like, oh, shadowing. Yeah, I get to be in the hospital. I get to follow around Dr. Smith, et cetera, whatever. Um, but they're not they're not relevant at the end of the day. You need them because you need to understand what a physician does. But clinical experience is much more important. And you don't need anywhere near 600 hours of clinical experience. I think students like to to cram in <clears throat> all of this experience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, 600. How? Smile in pre-med says. That's a lot. It is a lot. Um, what's the difference between shadowing and clinical experience? Good question. So shadowing is following the doctor around, literally being a shadow. Clinical experience is you being able to interact directly with the patients. So being a phlebotomist, being an EMT, volunteering in the emergency department, interacting with patients, being a medical assistant, all of that kind of stuff is clinical experience. And remember, it doesn't matter clinical experience. It doesn't matter if you're paid or if it's a volunteer. Clinical experience is clinical experience. 
Um, how many of you have checked out Mapped? That's a, a good question. M-A-P-P-D dot com. It is the technology platform to help you track your progress as a pre-med student. So you can enter in your courses, enter in your grades, enter in all of your activities, um, and really track everything that you're doing and then get feedback on what you're doing. That's the the next release that we have coming out is a, a new feedback tab where you can um, get feedback from us as we develop the these uh, feedback algorithms and, and letting you know uh, what you should be doing next and letting you know potentially where you have some issues with your your application. Uh, me, I signed up. I really like it. Yay. Uh, again, mappd.com. All right. With that, uh, I'm going to head out. I have e-shadowing coming up and I need to, uh, I need to save my voice. So, um, go check it out. Does Mapped also track e-shadowing? Yes. If you put it in, you can, uh, track e-shadowing. It doesn't do it automatically, but, but you go and manually put it in. Uh, I hope you all have a great night. Thank you for being here with me on uh, Instagram Live. Uh, I'm going to be doing more on TikTok, doing a lot of Q&A like this. So um, come hang out with me over there, Medical School HQ over there as well. Have a great night. We'll see you soon. All right, so there you have it. Again, some Q&A on Instagram. Hopefully that was useful for you. If you're on TikTok, I'm it addicted to TikTok, just watching all of the TikToks. Um, I did some TikToks uh, before the pandemic hit. And then when the pandemic hit and we kind of went into quarantine schedule, my my time for making TikToks has dramatically decreased. But my goal is to be able to pick that up and do much more Q&A on TikTok. I love the Q&A kind of features of TikTok where I can take a comment and make a video based on that comment and it all gets tied back to the original comment. So um, I'll be on TikTok a lot more, Medical School HQ on TikTok. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.